Welcome to Bite-Sized Agency Briefs, a webinar series that packs a ton of important agency information on one topic from one expert into a 25-minute brief. Why 25 minutes? Because who has the attention span for much more these days? And you can squeeze in a listen between meetings with time for a bathroom break or coffee refill before your next meeting. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bite-Sized Agency Briefs. I'm your host, Steve Guberman from Agency Outside, where I work with agency owners to help them turn their agency into the agency they always dreamt about. I'm here with my friend, Jamie Lieberman from Hashtag Legal. Jamie, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Awesome. Thanks. I appreciate you joining me and excited to kind of dig into what you've got to bring to the table. Thank you. I'm excited too. Yeah. So tell me the name, Hashtag Legal. Where's this? What's your story? How'd you get here? Why, why is it called that? Oh my goodness. That's a long story. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, I'm a lawyer uh, and Hashtag Legal is my law firm. Uh, mm -hmm. I started the law firm. I've been practicing law 17 years um, and I started the law firm about eight or nine years ago. Uh, the name was sort of born out of my frustration with just the legal profession in general being mm -hmm. very sort of stodgy and just rigid. And I wanted to practice law differently. Um, I frankly left big law and all the sort of typical legal world uh, mm -hmm. in order to do something a little bit different. And so I knew the name of my law firm had to match that. Uh, and we were working with content creators um, and people in the digital space. So I thought that that would work. Thankfully, it's held the test of time because that could have gone bad. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, I think you nailed it. I mean, if your focus is in the content creator space and influencers, I mean, thanks to Chris Messina for inventing the hashtag 15, 16, 18, 20 years ago, whatever it was, I still remember when that happened, but you jumped on that and leveraged it. And I think that's, you know, well-branded. So kudos to you. Thank uh, you. So, yeah. So tell me about that. Like, who, who are you like really digging in with? And who are you working with? And what are you doing with them? Because as a business owner, entrepreneur, pre, you know, I've owned a number of businesses. Lawyers are just, ugh. so, you know, how are you helping? And, and what's the niche here? So my goal is so that people don't dread getting on the phone with me and <laughs> you don't feel like, uh, but you're right. Most yeah. people feel that way about their lawyer. Um, we work with creators and they can be anywhere from designers to agency owners. We work with a lot of agency owners across the board. We also work with tech companies um, and we work with, uh, you know, interior designers. Really the kind of common thread is that feeling of, uh, <laughs> I don't, my lawyer doesn't get me. They don't understand what I do. Their model doesn't work for my small business. Um, mm -hmm. And so we work with companies that are starting up all the way up to those who've scaled um, and anything in between. And we have a lot of different ways we work with clients because one size really doesn't fit all. And so I wanted to change that model a little bit so that any size business could feel mm -hmm. like they could get some legal support because every business needs it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so true. And I mean, I work with a lot of people that are like solopreneurs trying to figure out early stage startup of an agency, and they've grabbed a contract on the internet from typically it's AIGA or, you know, some professional organization. And they're like, copy and paste, edit, throw my name on over your name, and we're good to go. I mean, you know, so what are some of those do's and don'ts that early entrepreneurs or early agency owners can really, you know, learn about? Yeah. So let's start with contracts, for example. Mm -hmm. So I'm of the mindset that I'd much rather you grab a template offline, which I, I just don't think work that well, but I'd rather you have that than nothing. So yeah. let's start there. 
The best type of contract you can have is one that's created specific for your company and your offerings and what it is that you do, because every agency is different um, and every business is different. We all have different models. So templates, in my mind, they just don't work. They can be a good startup for somebody who's bootstrapping and doesn't maybe have very much. Um, but I will tell you that I get more calls from business owners who are like, well, I started with this template and it kind of works, but now it just doesn't work anymore. And I really need someone to look at it. And mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, we end up scrapping it. Um, and that's okay. There's never any judgment for what you've done. Like you do the best that you can with what you have, but having a contract that's custom made for your business that can grow with your business, realizing that your business have over time, as you scale, as you grow, as you mature is going to change. Um, and so yeah. that contract needs to be revisited from time to time. Don't just like set it and forget it and never think about it again. <laughs> Stuff's going to come up. And usually what yeah. ends up happening is something comes up and then the client goes and writes a clause because something bad happened and they never want that to happen again. And then it just becomes kind of this Frankenstein. So having a relationship with a lawyer who you can call and say, Hey, how do we handle this type of situation? Where is mm -hmm. it in my contract? Or can we add it to my contract? It makes a big difference. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, they're covering their butts, protecting themselves with whatever causes you develop for them. And yeah, I, I listen, I, my first contracts were, again, they were taken from AIGA or I interned and I said to the guy, Hey, can I use your contract? And I was like, Yeah, just swap out my name for your name. And we were, he was, I don't know, 12, 15 people. I was a little freelancer not the same thing it didn't so the investment of a handful of hours with somebody who knows how to cover my butt goes a long way right you got so. you've got you've got the meat of it all and like i said you can modify it over time what are some of those like true like do's and don'ts that people need to really cover themselves about in the contract Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it matters how you do business, right? Are you particularly in the agency world? What are you creating for your client? What are those end result deliverables and who owns mm -hmm. them? Um, that's a big one. The so ownership. popular people want to know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big deal because, you know, in some instances, let's say we've created a report or we're strategizing with a client. Maybe we're not creating assets. Maybe our initial conversation and the first set of our engagement is let's sit down and create a strategy document. Mm -hmm. That strategy document is going to be a document that you as an agency owner probably use with all of your clients. You can't turn mm -hmm. over ownership of the strategy document. You could turn over right. ownership of portions of that strategy document, which is your specific client's strategy. But it's important we take that into an account and we're just not having these blanket ownership. The other thing is if we're creating strategy or let's say we're creating a campaign or something, there's going to be iterations mm -hmm. of that campaign. And if yeah. you come back to your client with five ideas and they take one, they shouldn't own those other four ideas. You should be free to use them for another client. So being really specific about ownership of deliverables, I think is probably the number one area that makes an agency agreement really complex. Use of subcontractors is another area. Many agencies yeah. start and we use a lot of subs. Even large agencies use subs. We're talking designers, Absolutely. et cetera. So you need to have really good contracts with your subs to make sure that you can transfer ownership from the subcontractor to you, to your client. Mm -hmm. So um, ownership of intellectual property is a really big one. The other yeah. one is scope of services. You gotta mm -hmm. be, particularly if they work flat <laughs> fee, you have to be so specific because if you're working flat fee, you need to think of that as your client is looking at that as a checklist. So if you're putting everything under the kitchen sink for that $10,000 flat fee, 
And maybe you only need to do of the 50 items, you only need to do 30 for this client. Your clients can be wondering when they're getting their money back for the other 20 you didn't actually do because right. you didn't have to. So it's really important that it's it's not plug and play. Scope should be really specific to each client and it should be really as detailed as you possibly can be. And that can include like communication policies. <laughs> Ter- communication Emails. policies, termination policies, delay of delay of game, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if somebody, that's the other thing, you know, um, responsiveness, you know, you Mm -hmm. have a client, like as an agency owner, you only have certain bandwidth to accept certain clients. And you may be in a situation that a really big client comes in the door. And so you turn away other business. And then if that client is just sitting there, not answering you, you're losing money. You've lost other businesses. You need to be able to terminate or pause so you can take on other clients. And perhaps there's a re-engagement fee. So that's the way that you protect yourself. And these are a lot of those clauses are just never included in the templates. Um, And they're specific to each client because sometimes clients don't need that pause button. The way their work works, that's never an issue. So it's so specific to them. It's interesting. And I disclaimer. I only play a lawyer on TV. I really don't, but I've, I've always played under the game of my scope of work is separate from my contract because the contract is kind of boilerplate and certainly there might be some plug and plays, but my scope of work will be different for branding versus web versus social media versus this for that, but should still include rounds of revisions, you know, responsiveness, some milestones, payment terms, things like that. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of separating statement of work from contract or agreement or whatever you want to label them as? Yeah, that's exactly how I typically approach. We're going to create either an MSA or a CSA, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Someone recently told me they didn't like the term master services agreement. So it's the first time. It's very corporate. That. So yes. yeah. <laughs> yes. So client services agreement, uh, consulting yep. agreement, that can be your boilerplate terms and conditions that really are going to be the same amongst all your clients. And then scope of work can be separate, certainly incorporated into that CSA, MSA, whatever you'd like to call it, your main terms and conditions. Um, And that also allows you to have multiple scopes of work because you may start doing multiple projects with a client and then each client, each thing, you don't have to generate a whole new contract. If you have a client and you've done six months of work with them and you guys love each other and they're like, oh my gosh, let's do more. Well, we don't Mm want to have to go through the contract process, particularly if your client is a large corporation with a legal department that drags everything down. You just want to work in scopes because, and oftentimes in the, with these large clients, if you're working with large companies under a certain budget, the, they, they don't have to run it through legal, which is ideal because that slows everything down. So if we can break it up into different scopes, that can also be really beneficial too. Yeah. You can kind of circumvent the legal department, the procurement department, you're under an MSA with them. So long as it meets this requirement, you submit a PO boom, signed off, get to work. It's yep. so much easier. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what about in the case with these behemoths where they want to bully you into, you've got to use their MSA versus yeah. the one that, that my legal my legal team or my lawyer came up with. I yeah. mean, how, how do you play that game? It's hard. So I'm doing it right now with a client who mm-hmm. um, this agency, it's a, a smaller agency, a few, a few people, members, and this agency mm-hmm. happens to have some massive named clients. Um, one of them we walked away from because it yeah. just didn't work. And I was actually really impressed with the, that thought process because mm-hmm. my client was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Uh, yeah. it's, it's the hoops are out of control and it, it frankly doesn't fit my model. The yeah. other one, what really ended up being super beneficial is I got on the phone with the lawyer. 
And once I got on the phone with the lawyer and I just sort of explained like, this is not, we were able to work it out. Um, mm -hmm. And so sometimes lawyer to lawyer can actually be really beneficial because I just went back to that lawyer. I'm like, this is what my client does. This is where we are. We're not, we understand your issues. Here's our issues. Let's come together. And we made it work. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be very beneficial. So sometimes, you know, clients are like, oh, I don't want the lawyers to get involved, but there are times where it really actually helps. We cut yeah. through these hundreds of revisions and all these comments and you cross out my red lines and I cross out <laughs> human to human. We can just yeah. make this work and we can explain. So in those instances, if you do want to go down that path, my recommendation is work with our MSA because you'll be in legal for six months if you try to create yeah. your own but let them know and pick and choose the things that are most important to you that have to go in. You know, this, this sure. particular agency works with influencers. And so there was an issue there in terms of ownership of work product, you know, this, mm. this massive company, they want work for hire for everything. Um, and we're like, we can't do that for influencers. So we were able to work through those issues and, and resolve them in a way. It just took a little bit of patience and negotiation. Yeah. That's so refreshing to hear. Like, let's just let the lawyers handle it because that's that's also something most people, the frame of mind is, no, let's avoid that at all costs. That's going to cost me a ton of money. And no, it's typically a quicker way to a, a better resolution. Yeah. They speak the same language. Let them figure it out. Yeah. And I got to tell bad. you, like a lot of times these lawyers sitting in these corporate legal departments of these massive corporations, they don't know. They're handling so many different types of contracts. They have absolute, the marketing people in the legal don't talk to each other at all. They right. never do. Whoever is hiring these, the agency almost never has a conversation with legal. They just pass stuff through. Um, and so the legal often doesn't have the full picture. Um, and so once you can educate and have a conversation, oftentimes they're, they're reasonable. And if they're not reasonable, sometimes it, it may not be a fit. If you can't yeah. give in, like it's okay to walk away from that deal, even though we get, I get it. That's a lot of money to sometimes walk away from, but it may not be worth it because yeah. it's just not how you work. Yeah. A lot of money at what cost, you know, what are you sacrificing? What are you giving up? What is it worth it? You know, and is it a yeah. principal thing? Is it, you know, the, the life and lifeblood and mental health of your team? Like sometimes yep. it's just not worth it. So yeah, That's I right. love that perspective. But I want to dig into like, because gig economy is through the roof right now, great resignation, everybody's open to business, everybody's a freelancer, everybody's not an employee anymore. What do agencies need to watch out for legally when this model of no employees or maybe one employee and a zillion freelancers? Yeah. What are some concerns there? Um, having great contracts with your freelancers is key. Mm -hmm. um, you want to make sure that you know your freelancer because you need, they need to represent that they're creating original work for you. And if they don't create original work, and I've had this happen where someone's plucked something off the web and you yeah. pass that along, one, you could get in legal issues, but two, you lose credibility. It doesn't look good. And it's impossible for you to know if, if your freelancer pulled something offline. Um, it's yeah. just, it's really hard. So knowing your freelancers, creating relationships with them and really strong contracts, um, I think freelancers should have insurance. So working with mm -hmm. freelancers who have professional liability insurance, because at the end of the day, you know, we're going to enter as an agency owner, you're going to enter into a contract with your client where you basically mm -hmm. vouch for and have liability for everything you turn over. So then you're right. going to enter into a contract with your subcontractor, your freelancer, you're going to push all that, the liability for the work that they do from them to you. But if they don't have any money or any insurance, like where are you, you're still on the hook. So right. that indemnification or 
that's not worth the paper it's printed on. So, you know, insurance is key. I think a lot of, a number of my agency owners have started requiring their freelancers to carry professional liability insurance so that if there is an issue, they know they're going to get paid. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's another thing to think about. Um, You know, uh, confidentiality is really key and exclusivity. Uh, because you may have certain non-compete slash, I mean, particularly the big companies, they want to put non-competes in there. They don't want you working with their competitors. So making your non-compete, you just need to make sure that your, the terms of your MSA CSA agreement with your client are mirrored Mm -hmm. in the terms with your contractors, because you need to make sure that everybody's on the same page for confidentiality, intellectual property ownership, um, confidentiality, things like that. So I'm an agency owner. I've got an agreement with whatever bigdeskcompany.com, and I need to make sure that whatever they are requiring of me, I'm asking of my freelancers, be it an insurance clause, be it a confidentiality clause, a non-compete, any of those things need to go in both directions. Gotcha. Yep. What about the concerns of the, the gray line or fine line between calling somebody a freelancer, but maybe they're really an employee and what the government looks at for those sort of concerns? That's a great question. So it's not really gray. You're either a contractor or an employee. (laughs) Come on. There's some gray lines there, aren't there? I know people want it to be gray, but like, it's one of those things where when someone starts talking to me, I'm like, this person's an employee. They're not a contractor. It does not matter from a legal perspective, what your contract says, how you couch it with them. If they want to be a contractor and you want to pay them, if they should be characterized as an employee, then you are obligated to pay them as such. Um, if you don't, it depends on the state. So the state where the contractor slash employee lives and works is the state in our virtual world. That's the state Mm -hmm. that matters. So in particular, California, for everybody listening, you gotta be really careful about working with freelancers. They're the worst, right? That's what I've I've understood. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to be characterized as a contractor in California anymore. Um, New York's actually pretty tough too. So, you know, Mm. each state has their own test um, and those tests are not black and white, which is where you get the gray from, right? It's a series of factors that we look up and I kind of look at it now that I've been practicing law as long as I have. It's like, for me, I just know someone starts talking. I'm like, Ooh, you're an employee. Um, And so, (laughs) you know, what are you risking is the question. Like, who's going to catch me? Well, there's a couple of different ways that this can go down. One, you can get audited. And nobody wants that. Um, two, your contractor slash employee, what if the work dries up and they were relying on you and maybe they were working full time and what if they file for unemployment? And if they yeah. file for unemployment and you haven't been paying into unemployment, there are fines. The other thing is yeah. what if there's workers comp claim? What if your contractor gets hurt and they file for workers comp? You know, things like that, that's where people, that's what ended up happening to any client of mine who's had an issue in this realm. It's because their contractor yeah. has filed for unemployment always. And these, yeah. these fines and fees can get up to 25, 50, $75,000. If your contractor has been working with you for a couple of years, it's cumulative. Um, yeah. And so I don't say this to scare people. I say this to say, like, be aware of your risks, 
be aware of who you're working with and just know whether or not you've characterized them correctly um, so that you know what your potential yeah. risk out there is. I know. And the lines blur, right? Like if we're truly working on a project by project basis where I call the contractor and say, hey, this client came in, I have this design work. Are you interested in the design? Yeah. The, the contractor may say yes or no. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not, right? But if I have somebody, I'm paying you 25 hours a week, you're working on all my client projects, you're sending emails to my client, um, yeah. you're managing accounts, you're sort of holding yourself out there. Yeah. You're an employee. <laughs> Yeah. 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 You're an employee. Yeah. yeah. I, and listen, I played that game for a long time. I had a web developer. He was my first employee and I was like, oh, let's just treat you like a contractor. And after a while I was like, all right, now I've got to put you on as, as a true W2 employee. And he became the first of, of a number, but we, I was nervous for a lot of years, like to the point, Hey, do you have business cards? No. Oh, quick. Let's make some real quick. Like I don't want to get audited. So nobody wants yeah. to get an audit. So yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, that's definitely a huge word of warning for agency owners. Yep. So coming down to a few minutes left, I want to hit you with a couple of rapid fire questions, not even legal related, but you can right. answer them if legal is your, in your blood as it is. So the craziest thing you did during quarantine, you, your family, whatever. Oh my gosh. Uh, lived in an apartment in Hoboken, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what you do anyway. So is that, that I crazy? know, but we couldn't leave our house. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of people I know were stuck in that same vibe. So. What about um, a, a book or a podcast that you're really into right now? Um, I just read, uh, I don't know if you follow Frank Bruni. He's a, um, mm -hmm. he was, he's a columnist for the New York Times and he okay. just wrote a book. It's like a memoir about, he went suddenly blind in one of his eyes. I heard about that on NPR literally just the other day. Yeah. I, on, on Terry Gross, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is an excellent book. He's one of my favorite writers to begin with. Like okay. I subscribe to his newsletter and I listen, yeah. I've been, he was the food editor at the New York Times. I've been following yeah. him for a very long time. He has, this is his second memoir. His previous one was excellent too, but I just read it and it was phenomenal. I'm blanking on yeah. the name, something at dusk, the beauty of dusk, or I'm, I might be getting that wrong, it. but it's Frank yeah. Bruni's latest book. It's fantastic. I loved it. So it's funny because I, didn't know his name, but he's written entertainment, food, movie critic, like across so many different yeah. things. And I was like, wait a minute, I know this, I know this, but I never knew his name until literally two days ago when he's they were brilliant. talking about it on NPR. So yeah. He's a brilliant writer. I listened to that interview actually. Yeah. Oh, um, all right, cool. I appreciate that one. All right. So latest new hobby or obsession, you, your kids, your family, whatever have dug into. Um, oh my gosh. So my older son is obsessed with chess. Um, and okay. I've never played chess a minute in my life, but he's insisting on teaching me. Uh, so I am now learning chess and being beaten awesome. by my oldest child. <laughs> right awesome. <away>. Listen, <laughs> we got to give them some wins, right? We've got to let them have yeah. some, some scores for us. So that's cool. Yeah. It's fun. All right. And finally, really solid, maybe the best piece of advice that you can give to an agency owner today. Oh my goodness. I think the biggest piece of advice that I could give goes back to the conversation we had about working with that big client. If yeah. in your gut, you know that this client is not a fit, even if you're scared, even if you need the money, do not enter into the contract. Uh, I understand. Yes. I've started many businesses myself. I've been running hashtag legal on my own. I understand how it feels to be petrified that the next client isn't going to come into the door. I've never mm -hmm. in my life 
had a moment where I met a client and in my gut, I knew I shouldn't take the job, but I did said to myself, I was wrong. I definitely should have taken that job. <laughs> it is never worth the yep. heartache. It, there is not enough money in the world. Yeah. Listen to your intuition and don't yeah. let fear guide you. So if you know uh, that client is going to be, you just, you know, I know, you know, we all know. <laughs> yeah. Don't listen be fear driven. I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Listen yeah. to your gut. Awesome. Cool. Well, hey, I am so grateful for your time today. Tell me or tell anybody who's listening, where can they find you? Yeah. So um, thank you for having me. This was very fun. Uh, I love talking about this stuff. Uh, my website yeah. is hashtag spelled out dash legal.com. Um, and we are pretty active on Instagram. In fact, my social media manager just made me start doing reels. So you can awesome. check me out looking really goofy doing reels. Um, and we are hashtag spelled out underscore legal on Instagram. And we do provide a lot of like little tidbits and information um, that hopefully can be helpful to business owners. Tons of great stuff. Plus, you've got a great podcast. You just hit yes, season two, I saw. God. So I should say that the Unbusiness podcast, we're doing season two. Season one was about conflict management and resolution, which many agency owners may uh, benefit yeah, from that. Awesome. Thank you again for your time, Jamie. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks again for tuning in to Bite Sized Agency Briefs. As always, if you found value in this episode, chances are someone else will too. So please share it with your network. Also, if you know someone with expert knowledge on a topic that agency owners would love, drop me a note. Let's get them on. Finally, find someone to hug today. <laughs>